Hi there, this is Jeff Edgers. Fifty years ago, the Rolling Stones headlined a free concert that ended in chaos, violence, and death. It was called Altamont. I spent the last eight months reporting on it to try to understand what it meant and why everything went so wrong. I talked to everybody I could, from Keith Richards to the guy who built the three-foot stage. You can listen to the story now on the All Told Podcast. Get it at WashingtonPost.com slash podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts. Hey, history lovers. I'm Mike Rosenwald with Retropod, a show about the past rediscovered. When Clara Barton moved to Washington, D.C. in 1854, she took a job at the U.S. Patent Office. She had one of those jobs that seems almost impossible more than a century later. Copyist. She literally rewrote document after document by hand. A career civil servant, a paper pusher, her life was beginning to take shape. That is, until April 19, 1861, the day of the Baltimore riot, considered to be the first bloodshed of the American Civil War. Wounded soldiers were brought to the district and laid out in the unfinished Capitol building. Barton raced there to offer assistance. That moment ignited in her a desire to help, a desire that led her to battlefields, to care for the wounded and dying, and to create the American Red Cross. She is perhaps the most famous nurse in American history. Barton had not set out to be a nurse. In fact, she was never formally trained in any facet of medicine, but she was fiercely independent, a barrier breaker. She grew up in Massachusetts and became a teacher. Her deep belief in the importance of education led her to work tirelessly to open public schools. But she taught on her own terms. Once, when a school offered her a woman's wage, she refused it and asked for a man's salary. Her words to the board have been immortalized. I may sometimes be willing to teach for nothing, but if paid at all... I shall never do a man's work for less than a man's pay. This desire to be treated and to treat others equally, it would become a theme in her life. After leaving behind teaching for the patent office, she moved quickly through the ranks, even being promoted to clerk, a huge deal for a woman at that time. Her salary was equal to many of the men in the same role. But her boss left, and the next one didn't approve of women in the workplace. She was demoted back to copyist, and men in the office started to spread rumors about her. Barton became depressed by the gossip and suffered from bouts of malaria, so she returned home to Massachusetts to recover. By 1860, just before President Lincoln's inauguration and the outbreak of the Civil War, she was back at the patent office. Soon, her life would change forever. It was about a year later, April 19, 1861, when a group of Southern sympathizers in Baltimore mobbed Northern militias traveling to Washington, D.C., producing the first bloodshed in what soon became the Civil War. After seeing the gruesome condition of the wounded that day in April, Barton and several other women organized medical supplies, food, clothing, bedding, prayers, letter writing, anything that could bring comfort. There was little formal training to be a nurse back then, 
So Barton quickly picked up what she needed to know and invented the rest. Soon after, the Civilian U.S. Sanitary Commission took control of providing nurses to the Union Army. But it was often bogged down in red tape. Many field doctors would take only male nurses, and their supply wagons often lagged days behind the troops. Barton got around all of that. She never joined the Sanitary Commission. She traveled fast and light, and by sheer force of personality, she was able to convince officials to let her get close to the front lines. Like in August of 1862, as the Civil War raged into its second year, Barton rode her wagon full of supplies to the Cedar Mountain Battlefield in Virginia. She arrived in the middle of the night, a miracle in the quiet darkness. As a surgeon there later wrote, I thought that night, if heaven ever sent out an angel, she must be one. Barton later wrote about her time at Cedar Mountain. Five days and nights with three hours sleep, a narrow escape from capture, and some days of getting the wounded into hospitals at Washington. And if you chance to feel that the positions I occupied were rough and unseemly for a woman, I can only reply that they were rough and unseemly for men. Now dubbed the Angel of the Battlefield, Barton continued to serve troops for the duration of the war. At Antietam, she was so close to the battlefield that, while cradling a wounded man's head while he sipped water, a bullet passed through her sleeve, instantly killing the soldier. The work was difficult, the days and nights long. Often, she would work until she collapsed from exhaustion or illness. The smell of death followed her, but she never gave up. In 1864, General Benjamin Butler made her head nurse of the Army of the James, despite the fact that she had no formal medical training. While on the front lines, she wrote to her father, I don't know how long it has been since my ear has been free from the roll of a drum. It is the music I sleep by, and I love it. I may be compelled to face danger, but never fear it. And while our soldiers can stand and fight, I can stand and feed and nurse them. I'm Mike Rosenwald. Thanks for listening. This episode was adapted from a story written by Gillian Brockell for the Washington Post. Special thanks to Carolyn Kitchener for reading Clara Barton's words in today's episode. For more forgotten stories from history, visit WashingtonPost.com slash Retropod. One correction before we go. An earlier version of this episode incorrectly said that Clara Barton grew up in Mississippi. In fact, she grew up in Massachusetts and returned to that state while recovering from illness.